Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and welcome to the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We're live in downtown Charlottesville, about a mile from Scott Stadium and about a mile from the John Paul Jones Arena. It's kind of that crossover hybrid portion of the calendar year where football still has three games uh, remaining, including a Thursday night contest against Louisville. Right now, the Cardinals, a pretty heavy point favorite with a home contest on Thursday night on national TV. Louisville, a 20-point favorite, the over-under at 50 and change. But the good news is we have basketball to talk about, and that is good news after a loss to the Ramblin' Rack that may have been the most difficult loss for Virginia football this season. And I say that because it seemed like the tide was turning for Virginia football. They were favored against the Yellow Jackets. We'll cover all those stories and more. Take a look at headlines on the Jerry and Jerry Show as Judah Whitcow, our director, goes to the studio camera and the two-shot and welcomes the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe to the program. My friend, three games left on the docket for football. Louisville, a 20-point favorite, a 50.5 over-under national televised football game. This contest... um, First, got to dot the I's and cross the T's against Georgia Tech. You know, this game started with promise, and it started with promise in the beginning of the week as UVA was a favorite. Started with promise. Virginia looked good early in the first quarter, but it didn't finish well. Where do you want to begin, my friend? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Virginia beat Georgia Tech on the road last year. And um, same, same setup. Uh, they do have a more dynamic guy at quarterback who, who's developed uh, tra- he transferred in uh, Haynes King I think he's doing for Georgia Tech right now what Riley Leonard was doing for Duke earlier last year and, and so earlier this year before he got hurt but <clears throat> he's a guy who can uh, make a difference he, he's a fast for a big quarterback and has good running instinct and and Engineered uh, a really good offensive plan. I mean, Georgia Tech piled up um, 514 yards of offense on Virginia, and 305 of that essentially was on the ground. Um, You can't do that and play competitive football. I don't care who you're playing. And Virginia didn't tackle well. They they took a big – I thought the entire football team took a giant step backward. Me too. Uh, they they tackled poorly, and against a team that runs the ball like Georgia Tech does, you you can't you just can't do that. They gave up apart. so many explosive plays that you're not giving yourself a chance to win. And the fact that Tony Musket got injured on the first series of the game, <clears throat> day to day this week for Louisville, uh, threw things back in the hands of the, the freshman. Anthony Calandria, and as spectacular as he is at times, he's still a freshman, and he makes some very questionable decisions. Um, he's, he sometimes lacks poise under pressure and makes big mistakes. That's something that they eliminated mostly with Musket in there, who's maybe not quite as thrilling to watch, but is a gritty, solid guy that – pretty much doesn't beat himself for the most part and, and doesn't make a lot of mistakes that's going to shoot you in the foot. So um, he suffered a high ankle sprain, and 
that's not always easy to come back from. So I, I expect, uh, we don't know for sure, because yesterday all they told us is that Muskets day to day, but I, I would expect Calandria will probably be starting out at Louisville. I, on, I would on, expect the same, right? On Thursday night, yeah. I mean, and, and it. Short turnaround. That's right. <clears throat> that's what I was going to ask you about. Um, Judah Wickhauer, you get those headlines on screen with one shots if you could. The Calandria question's all over the feed right now. Um, burning Calandria's red shirt, was it the right move? You're the expert. You're the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. I'll offer my two cents, pass you the baton. When the decision was made to play Calandria, the contest, the outcome of the Georgia Tech game, it was still a football game. Right. And, the, and the coaches, I, you know, you, you were there. I'm watching on television. You see Elliot go to the orthopedic tent multiple times mm-hmm. to check with the doctors on the likelihood of musket returning. So the man has to make a game-time, in-the-moment decision. And I would imagine some of his thinking is like, the other option's a walk-on. Calandria has upside. I'm maybe coaching for my job. And if we win four straight games, we could become bowl eligible. The team would be the toast of the town. And Calandria gives us the most opportunity to win. I got to burn the red shirt and play Calandria. Yeah, I think it was... Almost a predetermined decision that they made weeks ago, and it's tough to to make that kind of decision in the heat of the moment. So I'm, I think this was already decided that, and he has said that, you know, we're going to go with musket and we want to redshirt Calandria, if possible, knowing that he's the only backup that he has. Uh, who he trusts to be able to to run that offense, and I mean the other guy, uh, Grady Brosterhouse, is a, a walk-on who's had scholarship offers at, at probably lower-level football programs, but decided to come here, and, and he's picked up a little bit of experience, and probably will get a lot of reps this week in case Calandria gets hurt. But, uh, you know, the, the plan all along was, and, and and Tony Elliott talked to Calandria and his family about it, and they were okay with it, was, you know, we're going to redshirt you. You've played in four games. If you play in another, your redshirt is gone. Um, and we'd like to save you for the future. But if Musket goes down again, and there was a likelihood of that because he was playing on a, a bum shoulder already. This is going to require surgery. I would give the kid a lot of credit for pl- having the guts to go out there and, and be tough and, and not complain and, and throw it all on the line. But if he went down, there was, it was automatic. There was no. They had painted themselves into a corner. We talked about that in the preseason when they didn't add yet another scholarship quarterback to the program through the portal so they were they were painted into a corner and, and they had no choice but to burn his red shirt and and put him in the game because i mean what are you going to do go with a walk-on quarterback I, it's just that's not i mean you talk about wanting to get fired <laughs> it was a lose-lose scenario that was a lose-lose scenario and <clears throat> calandria uh played as hard as he could but again he's a freshman he makes mistakes and and that's just 
part of the maturation of a young quarterback that they're going to have to live with as long as he's out there this season. Here's the question. There's a follow-up for me, and then we'll get to the viewers and listeners. We'll highlight some of the viewers and listeners watching this program right now. And viewers and listeners, we encourage you to chime in with questions. Vanessa Parkhill, hello. Kyle Irvin, hello. Angie Fink, Ray Cadell, hello. Jamie Turner, Nelson Lanza, hello. Lisa Costello, Scott Thorpe, hello. Harold Hertz, hello. Viewers and listeners in Richmond, Lynchburg, Williamsburg, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, McLean, Arlington, Danville, Martinsville, Bluefield, watching the program, the Outer Banks, Boone, North Carolina, watching the program. Question for me first. You burned Calandria's redshirt and a loss to Georgia Tech. Are you now committed to playing Calandria the rest of the year? That's a good question, and I, I don't know. Um, a lot of people would like to see that because they believe he is the future, but you got to remember that Musket is returning for another year as well, at least it would seem so. Um, I guess he could always leave if he wanted to. I, I don't know, but um, it, it's a delicate situation that they have over there. I mean, if you play Calandria the rest of the year, does Musket leave? If you bring Musket back after assuming he can recuperate from this high ankle sprain any time before the season's over, do you bring him back? And if you do, does that – apparently that that's not going to – impact Calandria's decision to stay and not get, enter the transfer portal. He, he loves it here. He, he and Musket are very close. A lot of people think quarterbacks might be rivals, but these guys help each other. They hang out together. They're good friends. They root for each other. Um, I, I don't think there's any jealousy there or any envy, so I don't think it would impact Calandria. Um, but high ankle high ankle sprains are a, they linger they they can linger for weeks and so uh, if they're lo- looking for to try to keep musket healthy uh, and he's you know he's a quarterback who likes to run when he gets the opportunity with quarterback draws and uh, he's chased out of the pocket quite often or they have to move the pocket so. He has to be mobile, and if he can't, if that high ankle sprain is giving him problems, it might be smarter just to sit him the rest of the season. Um, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, guys, uh, the star of the program, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. We have Chad Wood chiming in. Chad Wood is a diehard UVA sports fan. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville, good morning to you as well. He says, Calandria will be fine. He just needs to take what's given and stop trying to do too much. He's trying to force the issue. Your thoughts on that? Well, that's true, but it's easier said than done. Uh, when you're eighteen, when you're eighteen, you're five eleven, and you've got three hundred pound guys wanting to put you on your back. It, it's it, and sometimes the the blocking is not that great. You can be forced into some decisions and lose your poise in a hurry because if you don't uh, get out of the way, those guys are going to. Uh, they could possibly break your shoulder or, or break your leg or something. So um, it's a very physical game, and it's it's a uh, the speed of the game is so much faster when you're coming out of high school into college. 
and it takes a while for that to slow down, especially for a quarterback, because he has to process so much so quickly. I mean, if he's going to throw the ball, he's probably going to have to do it in 2.8 seconds. You you, you have to uh, get your pre-snap read and see where the safeties are. You guys determine how many people are in the tackle box. Do you need to change the, from running play to pass play? Uh, or if it's an RPO, you got to look at where people are lined up. You got to consider the pass rush. Are they blitzing? Are they staying? Uh, that's a lot to put on an 18 year old. He might be 19 by now, but that's a lot to put on a young guy in, in, a, in a heated situation. And, and particularly, like I said, you know, other teams are going to go out of their way trying to rattle him to begin with. Uh, they might not put as much pressure on a guy like Muscat who's been around and seen all the blitzes and and the game has slowed down for him. I'm sure that Calandria's mind is going racing at a million miles an hour before every snap. And he's got he's got to make a lot of instant decisions and it's just it's not easy. It's not well, easy. Well said. Logan Wells Claylo, welcome to the program. Bill McChesney Thank you kindly for joining us. Let's welcome folks in Allentown. We have a regular group of Allentown watchers and listeners of our talk show, and we love Pennsylvania on the Jerry and Jerry show. I'm going to throw this to you. You've already touched on this. If Calandria goes down the stretch, I'll take a step back. We've been talking on the Jerry and Jerry show about keeping Calandria the quarterback of the future. We've pontificated about the transfer portal and how folks would be interested in Calandria who clearly has upside. One of the things perhaps media, perhaps this show has not covered, is Musket, the guy who could end up transferring, with one year of eligibility and playing time still left, a guy who's got a pretty good sample size in 2023 of performance. If you look at the highlight reels and when he's been healthy, hell, he's been playing the year not healthy, and he's still had a lot of great highlights. Yeah. Uh, is this the guy that could transfer? I guess he could. I, I, I don't know all of his specifics in, in terms of where he stands uh, in terms of all, all that ac- uh, the academic part of it but uh, I, I would think that he probably could he um, he certainly has proven he can play on this level and has played with a lot of inspiration and, and gained the admiration of his and respect of his teammates I think they'd run through a wall for that guy just seeing what he puts on the line every week, playing with a, uh, an injured shoulder and still sacrificing his body every time he takes off to run the ball. and uh, That's how he got hurt the other day. We, we thought he got hurt on the sack, but he actually got hurt a couple plays before that uh, on a busted running play, and, and he tried to make something out of it and, and got hurt. But... Um, yeah, I, I would think it's probably a possibility he could he could go somewhere. I, I don't. Nobody has ever brought that up to him. I don't think so. We don't know how he feels about it. But I, I would say right now, as as long as things go the the way they appear they're going, I, I would say that both those quarterbacks will probably be probably be back next year. Well, if 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 they're both back next year, that would be fantastic for Virginia football the Tony Elliott coaching staff, after the loss to Georgia Tech in the presser, which you were at in person, I listened to it on the radio. 
Elliot and his two coordinators fell on the proverbial sword yep. for this loss. First time this season I've heard them fall on the sword to this extent. What'd you make of that? I think some of it was to take some of the pressure or maybe the heat off of the players. Uh, that's something a lot of coaches do. But, <coughs> but uh, it was good to see them take some accountability for it too because Virginia just wasn't ready to play. And that falls on the coaches. <coughs> and I, I, I know that it wasn't for a lack of effort because Tony Elliott said last week that one of the first things he did Monday morning when they came in was talk to them about securing their first ACC home win at Scott Stadium. I mean, Scott Stadium used to be a tough place to play, man. I don't care who you were. If you came into Scott Stadium, it was going to be tough for you to come in and walk out with a win for any visiting team. I don't care how good they were. We've seen a lot of upsets there over the years, but uh, they they haven't won a home ACC game since Tony's been here. They they didn't do that great. They the, for a while there they had a great record under Bronco at home, and then it kind of fell off his last year. But um, so it wasn't like that they were unaware of what was at stake. They also knew that if they won out, they would definitely be in a bowl game. There was even a possibility of if they just won three more games, they could possibly go to a bowl game because there's probably not going to be enough eligible teams to fill all the bowl slots. So they all knew what was on the line, and uh, they just got their butt kicked uh, on both sides of the football and, and just did not play well. And it was clear that Georgia Tech – was the team that wanted it the most and, and took it to Virginia, and Virginia didn't have many answers. Georgia Tech made some great adjustments early on and, and continued to adjust, and Virginia didn't do well adjusting back to those adjustments. Jerry Ratcliffe dropping dimes here. Questions are coming in. Um, let's go to Leslie, who's watching the program in Richmond. She says, you guys talked last week on the show how Tony Elliott had started to turn the season around and how Virginia, if they won out, could make a bowl game, and he could be on the short list for Coach of the Year with finishing with six victories. Now I watch the game. My husband and I travel to this game like we do for all home contests. Morale was low. The stadium was empty, especially in the second half, and I would say that was the worst loss we have had this year and maybe in the Tony, area, Tony Elliott era. Does this put him back on a hot seat? It's definitely the worst loss this season, no question about it. They just did not play well. They didn't tackle well. They they didn't do much of anything well. And they turned the ball over too many times and just let Georgia Tech have their way. Uh, hot seat, that's a difficult question because we've addressed that throughout the season. I, I really don't think that Virginia is going to fire Tony Elliott unless something Bizarre happens. I mean, if they lose out and get blown out every game and he loses the team and fans stop coming and donors start griping, who knows? Uh, there could be several heads rolling. But I would say if things play out the way they could, I, I don't think I don't think there's going to be any changes made uh, with him or his staff unless – 
NAD or somebody would force him to, to do that. We've seen that happen here before in the past. Uh, I mean, they have a good chance to beat Duke here. They have a decent chance to beat Virginia Tech here if they play up to their capabilities. We saw how well they can play against Miami and UNC. Oh, no question. I mean, they could have easily won that Miami game. Uh, and they've been close in some other contests. So, you know, it's fathomable, fathomable that they could win those last two games. I don't give them much chance at Louisville on Thursday night for multiple reasons. One, Louisville's undefeated at home. They're, Louisville has a lot to play for. They're 8-1. and one. They are probably in the catbird seat to play Florida State in the ACC championship game. It's nationally televised. Uh, could get a nice bowl game out of it. Uh, in fact, if they if they went out, if they beat Virginia and Miami on the road, and then beat Kentucky and beat Florida State in the ACC championship game, they could be in the college football playoff. Right. So they've got a lot, a lot to play for, and that's that's one of the great stories in college football this year is, is what Jeff Brom is done with that program they i mean remember last year jerry when they came hobbling in to oh yeah scott stadium oh yeah with scott satterfield their former coach there were there, there were stories that had they lost that game here last year that he was going to get fired before After the he, game before he got on the plane to right. come back to Char- uh, louisville right instead they Played a great game. They won the game. They finished the season strong, went to a bowl game. Uh, he got out of there. <laughs> and they wisely hired Jeff Brom, an alum, uh, who um, has a lot of pride in that program. And, and he's got things jumping out there in Louisville. I'm sure their fans are ecstatic. They have a great fan base out there. And um, like I said, they're 5-0 and at home. And, and – uh, just playing really well. Um, Chad asked this question. I'm seeing this question from Spencer, and I'm seeing this question from Tommy. Uh, Tommy's watching this program and my stomping grounds, former stomping grounds, Williamsburg. They all ask about big donors and the influence that they could have on this process. Specifically, and we may not have the insight to this. This is off the X's and O's. This is more the politics of big football. Have the big donations started to slow down? Uh, we don't know that, and Virginia's not about to tell anybody that. Uh, you'd have to do some real digging behind the scenes, <clears throat> and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably do some of that, but uh, they, there's no way to find that out unless you talk to some of the right people in the right places, and those conversations haven't happened yet, but uh, I know there were some rumors that popped up uh, a few weeks ago that the some big donors had gotten together and what well, was uh, it was uh, up the buyout, but I I don't believe those there was any. I don't think there was any truth to those. Right, rumors. it was a it was a a Twitter rumor originated by someone with not much Virginia beat writing pedigree. Exactly, and you know you hear stuff like that, and not just Virginia's program, but all over the country, you hear. All kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, we saw some of the worst of it during realignment over the years, and all kinds of stuff. Where, you know, 
TV station in D.C. and other people who claimed to be insiders and had inside sources and said that Virginia was talking about going to the Big Ten and all this stuff. And at that point, Virginia never talked to anybody in the Big Ten about anything like that. So uh, you have to take some of these. And I'm not saying that sources, you shouldn't pay attention when legitimate people refer to sources because a lot of people who know that what you want to know are not are you can't burn those sources you can't reveal them or you'll never have them in your corner again but uh, a lot of these unnamed sources you see from people are are various outlets that don't have any real credibility uh, you have to take those with a grain of salt because sometimes it's just somebody trying to make a splash or make a name for themselves. Um, viewers and listeners, ask questions. We'll repeat them live on air. Ask them live on air. To the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, they're coming in fast and furious. Skip Hudgens, Coach Hudgens, welcome to the program. The legendary baseball coach from Western Almoral High School watching the show. James Watson, hello and welcome to the program. This is from Roderick Mullins. He says, is the ACC membership completely settled? Or will we see any move by members, including Virginia, from the conference? Well, you know, there's a possibility. There's always a possibility if if somebody can find a way out of the contract that that's locked in and supposedly uh, unbreakable until 2036. I uh, so far I haven't seen anybody that's found any loopholes in it. That. It's going to create movement, but um, Florida State keeps threatening that they're going to leave. Uh, Which I makes think, no sense to me. I, I, I don't either. I don't. I agree, I, and I don't think Dabo Sweeney wants to leave and go into the SEC. I mean, they're having tough troubles. They're struggling in the ACC, for goodness' sake. So why would they want to step into a higher level of competition where you're just another average football program? Um, Bingo. But, you know, I, I think there, where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. And, and you can't discount the fact that that's the main reason that Virginia or the ACC added Stanford, Cal, and SMU. It wasn't because they found those schools real attractive and were going to add a lot to ACC football or even basketball for that matter. The ACC was that was a proactive defensive move. In in case the ACC does lose three teams, if they go below fourteen teams, I believe it is, then uh, that contract with ESPN goes kaput. So by adding three teams, they've took one move into securing their future and stabilization and keeping the conference together, no matter if someone loses or not. Frankly, uh, you know, if North Carolina or Florida State or Clemson wants to leave, I, I, I don't know that you can really stop them. Uh, it may cost them some money in the long run, but I just don't see why you would want to leave because you're losing your natural rivalries. Um, ask Maryland how that went. Right. Um I mean, most specifically, and you're stepping into that a, a higher competition. There it is. Uh, yeah, what, what good? What good does that do you? I mean, look at what Florida State's got right now. 
Florida State's the clear-cut, most talented team in the conference. If the cookie crumbles the right way, Florida State's playing for a national championship. Yeah, and if Florida State is in the SEC this year, they're not. They're middle of the road. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, right. And then Debu Sweeney, some folks in Death Valley, and you and I, I never speak for you. I I feel on this one, we've already talked about it. Debu Sweeney, they should be building uh, statues and calling street names after (laughs) Coach Sweeney. But half a portion of the fan base wants him out. Imagine what happens if he goes to the SEC. That's fan bases. Two things that I used to say, they're probably not as relevant now because both of these men have sadly passed away. But all you have to know about fan bases is that they once burned Dean Smith, uh, uh, hanged him in effigy, and the same thing at West Virginia with Bobby Bowden. So um, those two went on to become two of the greatest coaches in in their sport in, in collegiate history. So uh, there's always going to be a certain portion that's going to be disgruntled, and I think most coaches don't try not to pay too much attention to those. Um, I think Dabo, I, I, I kind of admired that he put that caller, the guy from Spartanburg. Tyler. Uh, Tyler from Spartanburg yeah. in his place on his radio show. Some people said, well, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You just opened a new can of worms. But I kind of admire the fact that he, he wasn't going to let some 17-year-old snot-nosed kid uh, try to tarnish what he's accomplished at Clemson. He's won two national championships. He won 10 or 11 or 12 games Snot every year for uh, over, a, over a decade. Uh, and you got some punk trying to uh, diminish what you've accomplished. I, 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 I kind of admire what he did. Oh, that's so funny. Edward Jenkins watching in Texas on Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe's Twitter account right now. Viewers and listeners, let us know your thoughts. We'll relay them live on air. The question, my phone's blowing up right now with viewers and listeners asking questions. Um, We need to put this to bed here. The question's around the job security here. I think you and I both believe Elliot, and and I don't want to speak for you. I'll just put my two cents out there and pass it to you. Elliot's back next year, guys. I think both coordinators are back next year. I think he got a lot of goodwill with how he handled the tragedy last year. I think that victory against North Carolina got him a lot of equity, a lot of savings in the bank. Um, Is the seat warm? Yes. Could the seat get warmer if he finishes with three more losses to close the year, especially one to Virginia Tech? Absolutely. Two years is not enough sample size to to pink slump anyone. My two cents. Yeah, it's it's rare. It's only happened once here ever. Uh, And, again, there were extenuating circumstances to that, but – um, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't think Tony's going to lose this team. That's usually a quality. And, and ADs and, and other people are, are watching for things like that. Do, do, do you lose your team? Do, you, do they not listen to you anymore? Are you becoming negative or are you not giving it all, all you've got? I, I, none of those things are going to happen with Tony Elliott. His players respect him too much. Uh, He's a very driven guy. Uh, he's carried quite a burden ever since last November, and the one-year anniversary of that is coming up next week, which is going to um, conjure up all those emotions for the the community and himself and all, all the program. Um, 
I agree. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think you know, there's going to be any staff changes unless some of those guys decide to leave on their own. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. Uh, I, I think he did get some bank in beating North Carolina and could have beaten Miami on the road. I think that shows some progress in the program and hope for the future because you see that there are possibilities there. What they need to be able to do, and and they may have to go to the transfer portal to do it. They have to because their recruiting class is dead last right now in the conference. Yeah, and you know, I don't know where they stand with some of the high school recruits that they're trying to lure here. But, I, you know, I asked Tony about this yesterday at the press conference. Depth, playable depth on this team is is not very good. And, and he admitted that's one of the things that they really have to work on to rebuild this football program. I mean, he came into a rebuilding situation – uh, they had some really good players that didn't fit his system, and, and that was unfortunate. But um, a lot of players who had committed right before he got here uh, decommitted. Some of the guys who were in the program who could have made a difference left, and some of them even left after last season, as we saw. But... Uh, depth is a big deal. I, I remember a friend of mine was a defensive coordinator at another ACC school, and I talked to him about Virginia, and this was during the Bronco era, and he said, he said, you know, Virginia's got some nice players. They've, they've got some guys who can play for just about anybody, and we they still do. We've seen some of the guys that transferred out last year are playing at big programs all over the country and the year before as well. He said they just don't have enough of them. And that's what it takes in football. You've, you've got to have depth. And even Tony said, that, you know, I've noticed the last several weeks when we line up against people, especially defensive fronts, opposing defensive fronts, that they bring that first unit out or a couple of players out and they replace them with juniors or seniors who are, there's not much fall off. Virginia doesn't do – I can't do that. A lot of times from Virginia – takes a guy out or has a guy injured, they have to go with a freshman or a sophomore who's probably doing on-the-job training. Look at the quarterback position. Yeah, quarterback's another spot. So uh, that's something that he has to address. And, again, I I think he's probably going to have to do it through the transfer portal. And, again, that brings up all kinds of other issues because of NIL and transfer uh, credits not transferring to Virginia. I think there's – somebody told me last night – I don't know that this is true, but I think if if you're an, an upperclassman and wanting to transfer to Virginia, um, you have to have so many hours or something at Virginia or, or they won't even uh, look at you. I, 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 this sounded complicated to me. I don't know the rules, but uh, it's not easy just to go out and take 25 new players from the transfer portal like some schools are doing. Um, questions coming in faster than I can keep up. You have um, a question coming in here from South Carolina, and this is in response to a two-part question. Um, the first part says, Tyler in Spartansburg is a laughing stock. 
us true Tiger fans realize what Coach Sweeney has done for the program, and he ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Second part of the question is, I'm an 87 Virginia football graduate, and I think this program is at as low a point as I've seen so far. We go up to Scott Stadium for a home football game once, maybe twice a year, and I've completely forgotten about football now and turned my attention to basketball. Please ask Ratcliffe where he thinks low points this program is with his history and in years past. Uh, I think it would be similar to the end of the Mike London era, probably when uh, most fans had, had given up hope that things were going to turn around and and it, and it looked bleak. Uh, they they were the recruiting had fallen off to some degree, and uh, the crowds had diminished. There was a lot of apathy surrounding the program, and I, I think we're seeing some of that now. It could get better or it could get worse, depending on you know how things break the last month Three of games. the season. Yeah, but um, then he follows by saying this. Um, no home football wins says something about the atmosphere and environment in Scott Stadium, 100%. That's true, no question about it. And, and the atmosphere at Scott Stadium hasn't been great for a while now. He, even when Bronco had things going well and they brought Notre Dame, a top 10 team in here, and the stadium didn't sell out. I mean, that, that speaks volumes. Because uh, I thought, you know, had Brendan Armstrong been healthy, I thought they would have had a chance to win that game. But uh, unfortunately, he had had his ribs broken two weeks before at Brigham Young. But, yeah, no home ACC wins is tough to live with. And it does impact your crowds. And, and when you're bringing in recruits and you're trying to impress them and convince them they should come here, and they come in and they see half the stadium full and then half of those leave at halftime, that that doesn't speak well to an 18-year-old who is very impressionable, especially when he goes somewhere the next weekend and the place is full and ju- the joint's jumping. And I mean, even compare and contrast to Virginia Tech, yeah. the Hokies have had significant difficulty over the last handful of years coinciding with Virginia football's difficulty the last few years, but Lane's packed. Yes, it is, and it's an exciting environment. No, you can't deny that. Uh, I think some of that is culture. Some of it is uh, just enthusiasm and loyalty, and, and, and a lot of Virginia fans will say, well, you know, we, we don't have anything to get excited about, and, and you can see that side of the coin as well. So... I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I mean, say they go 0-3 the rest of the season. You fire Tony Elliott and his staff. Who are you going to bring in? Exactly. I mean, they're facing the same set of problems that Tony Elliott has. Uh, you may have to settle someone that doesn't even have the coaching background that, that he has. And and, I, and I'm not saying that I'm not trying to compare him with uh, a, a proven Division One FBS head football coach who's got a lot of history behind him in terms of wins, but uh, this is his first job. He's, he's learning as he goes, and he's in a very 
difficult place to win. Now, if you look at Virginia's football history, the last 25 years has been fairly bleak. I mean, there were some moments early in the Al Grow era, and I, I think had Virginia delivered to him what they promised him when he came here, I, I think the program would be advanced. But they, they didn't give him those things. They have since given some of the other successors some of those things, like an indoor facility, a, a, a new football home, which they're building, various things. But this is a this is a very difficult place to win. I mean, going back to George Welsh's press conference in 1980, December 1981, Somebody said, George, why would you come to a coach's graveyard? And George said, well, if it is, it's a lovely graveyard. And he's one of the few people that's been able to have success here. I mean, the 20, the 30 years before him, they had two winning seasons. Uh, in the years after him, uh, Al Groh had a few winning seasons. Mike London had one or two. Bronco finally got uh, two or three strung together. It's 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 a difficult place to win, and for a lot of reasons. And um, but you know, I, I can see where the fans are upset. But the reality is, I, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to change unless Virginia changes some of its philosophy on how it handles the football program. Academics, and, and, and I don't know if I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. Comments are coming in quickly. This one we have to, maybe you make a note on this. It doesn't pertain to the discussion, but it's a good comment that's been put in the feed by Laura, who's watching in Roanoke. She says you mentioned uh, Dean Smith being hung in effigy and Bobby Bowden being hung in effigy, and both coaches now passed away. She says rest in power to both of them. Maybe some words on Bobby Knight, who also had a love-hate relationship with his fan base who recently passed away. So she's asking for some words from you on Bobby Knight, yeah, I the mean, basketball coach. Bobby Knight was one of the greatest coaches that ever breathed. Uh, a lot of the things that he created, uh, some of the motion and flowing offenses that it, well, most of the schools run today, it was a product of his mind, and uh, he was a great he was a great teacher of the game. And yeah, he was volatile, and he wanted to do things his own way, and. And he could be a nasty person to deal with. Uh, spending some time with Fletcher Errett, who all, also... Love Coach Errett. R.I.P. R- R- to him. Right. I love that guy. Me too. The head coach at Fork Union, who should be in the Hall of Fame. Amen. Um, he and I spent it, like 160 Saturdays together doing In the Paint, uh, the radio show he did, which yeah. I co-hosted with him. He taught awesome me dude. so much about... I sincerely mean this. Like you, Coach Eric and Coach Schumann have taught me so much about life, spending time across from them like I'm doing here. Yeah. I mean, he was an awesome guy to say the least, and I apologize for interrupting oh, no, you. No problem. I, I, anytime you say something great about Fletcher Eric, uh is fine with me. <laughs> uh, he once told me, he said, you know, he said, I wanted to learn some things from Bobby Knight, and I, he grac- graciously accepted my uh, request to spend some time with him. He offered him, I think he stayed at Knight's home for uh, several days. And 
said it was an incredible experience. He, he learned a lot. And Bobby Knight wanted to learn from him as well. Um, but he said, you know, I think, and his philosophy was, I think Bobby Knight has this gruff persona because he doesn't want to be bothered. And he figures if he gives that off, the people will leave him alone. And I, th- I think that might be a good theory on on part of why Knight was the way he was. He was volatile. He'd lose your temper. But, you know, he came up in an era as well, and I'm not using this as an excuse because John Wooden never laid hands on a player or never even cursed. I think my goodness was, if he said my goodness, you better watch out because that was, that was about as dirty as it got with John Wooden, who also had the opportunity to hang out with. But uh, uh, Bobby Knight came up in an era where it, it wasn't unusual for uh, coaches to lay into their players, uh, put hands on. Uh, you can't do stuff like that now. And I think he bridged those generations and where it became frowned upon. But, uh, you know, he was sort of a product of, of his environment. But uh, a brilliant coach, they said if, uh, if you got to know him very well, you couldn't ask for a better friend. Uh, I think Dick Vitale probably could attest to that because I know they had words uh, at one point and end up being best buddies. But, uh, you know, he was a unique individual. I was around him a few times over the years, not intimately, but around him. And uh, for the most part, he was fairly well-behaved and respectful, uh, particularly toward Virginia's basketball teams. Um, saw him get a little wacky one time in a post-game press conference, but that was Bobby Knight. You, 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 uh, you, got, you got what you paid for. You, you saw him. You saw Bobby Knight. That's, Bobby Knight is who he, who he was. Um. Hell of a coaching tree for Bobby Knight. Absolutely. Starts with Mike Krzyzewski. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he, Krzyzewski will be the first to tell you that Bobby Knight changed his life, plucking him from the suburbs of Chicago to come to West Point. And uh, I think he learned an awfully lot from Knight, not just on basketball, but on how to handle all sorts of things and, Sushevsky could have a little fire in him at times as well. I mean, I'll never forget the night that Virginia upset them here and they bust home to Durham, and the players thought they were going to go home and get to bed. It was, I'm sure they didn't get back till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, having made that trip myself many, many times. But instead, he made them get off the bus and practice, and Cameron uh, went uh, for a while, to take his frustration out on how poorly they performed at Virginia. Um, I think the NCAA may have out, outlawed that by now, but uh, yeah, he, he he left a quite an impression on Coach K. Fantastic commentary right there from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Let's go to uh, your Twitter account, Edward Jenkins, watching in Texas. Like I said. Um, Mr. Jenkins, let us know where you're watching in Texas. We would love to shout you out. He says, for Hootie, I'm so frustrated with our inability to recruit four-star players in football. 
I was extremely disappointed, he said, that Wally Rayner's son decided to play at Minnesota. He also said, are you kidding me? He should have been playing here. He says, why is this program struggling at recruiting football? That's a good question. And I wouldn't put a lot of stock into the star system thing because I've seen some of the people who evaluate some of these high school players, and, and believe me, some of them should not be evaluating high school football talent because they they didn't play, they never, didn't coach. They, they're just, I don't know, I, I don't put much stock in it. I've seen guys who are two stars, one stars, and no stars end up in the NFL. I've seen guys with five stars even come here and, and can't can't do anything. So I, Jim Grobe and uh, and even the, the Dave Clawson at Wake Forest make a living on recruiting two stars and coaching them up. Frank Beamer was really good at that. Uh, he, if you see a kid who fits your system and you like him and he's got what you're looking for, if you can coach him up, they can overcome uh, some of the other things that they might not have. And it's more about in here, I think, than some of the metrics we see all the time. Um, there are some, some pretty good players that, that I know that Al Groh and George Wells brought in here who were two stars or below and played in the NFL. So I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. It, it, it is, they aren't doing a good job recruiting, and they haven't for quite some time. Uh, and, again, part of it is the academics. Um, I remember Danny Wilmer told me that they would try to get some guys in, and they were really good football players. And sometimes, academically, they just couldn't get them in. And so they would send them, send them to Marshall, and Marshall ended up having some really good football teams. Not saying that was the only reason why, but it certainly contributed to that. There were some guys that ended up in the NFL that uh, – Virginia just couldn't get into couldn't get into school, wouldn't wouldn't be accepted. And um, I mean, this this goes back for cent not centuries, <coughs> but decades. Uh, I, I like to tell the story, and I've told it here probably multiple times. That Don Shula told me this was the hardest job he ever had, and he was ended up being the NFL's winningest coach in history. That Virginia was his first job. It was his hardest job because of the academics. And I, I don't know. Uh, Tony Elliott is convinced, and, and Carla Williams is convinced that you can have great academics and great football, but history hasn't shown us that. Right. I mean, you look at Northwestern, you look at maybe Vanderbilt. You, maybe you point to a couple of years of, of football, maybe a short stretch with Stanford. That may justify that statement, yeah, but the, the and Cal, proof of, and, and they're all struggling, right? But, the but proof of performance is limited. But but I think you know, I think even Cal and Stanford have some some things in their curriculums, some majors where athletes can better exist and earn a degree. Kelsey says Notre Dame's doing it. Notre Dame is doing it. Uh, they get they have the national reputation, yeah. and, and they get some of the top of the heap football players. I mean, who, 
Who doesn't want to go to Notre Dame? Right. They have a national televised contract. They got the NBC contract. They're Notre Dame. Good night. Yeah. It's not an, and I'm not trying to throw shade on, on her. I appreciate your comment. Appreciate you watching the program. Comparing UVA to Notre Dame is not a fair comparison. Yeah, and, and you know, the, I've, I've been to Notre Dame a few. The first time I went to Notre Dame, I went with a, a radio guy and, uh, and Doug Terring. The St. Anne's Belfield retired dro- athletic director? He, he drove us out there, and, and a guy who had, went, had, gone, <laughs> uh, had gone to Notre Dame, uh, Vic Dorr from the Richmond paper, and we went out to interview Lou Holtz. And, uh, but that was a fun trip. We got to see all the, the great stuff at Notre Dame, all the historical stuff in terms of football and, and all that. And, and <laughs> I can't remember. I, I, guess it was, uh, I guess it was Warren Swain, the old play-by-play announcer. He said, he said after this visit to Notre Dame, he, he said, I'm ready to commit and, and become a Catholic. And he said, <laughs> that's what the kind of impression that that short visit uh, of two days to South Bend had on him so I can imagine what it has on a 18 year old kid uh, with all that tradition and, and you know Notre Dame's got it I mean they're one of the storied football programs in America even though they haven't won a national championship since 1988 but still uh, you're going to find them in the top 10 more often than not well said Kevin Higgins hello Jason Howard hello Carol Thorpe hello Bob Yarborough Woody Fincham, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for watching the show. Uh, Marcella, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for watching the program. Viewers and listeners, if you have questions, put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. The fabulous Betsy Nugent watching the program. Love you, Betsy. Um, We've got to talk basketball. We're an hour in. We've been talking football. The viewers and listeners have helped shape the discussion. We love when you guys ask questions. i got one more from Chad Wood, who's a diehard Orange and Blue fan. He says a couple of things. There's too much to do in Charlottesville, unlike Blacksburg. Little zing from Chad to the Hokies. There's too much to do on a Saturday for folks in this area. They get distracted when it comes to other things, and that's why they're not showing up to football. That's not the case in Blacksburg. That's what he says. He also says this to you. Um, He says that, uh, to Hootie's point, you guys have counted on one hand the football programs that have done um, academics and football successfully. That doesn't speak to the potential of doing academics and football successfully. The fact you can rattle them off on one hand, that's another very good point. Um, And he thinks that, uh, and he says this, which I, I agree with, he discounts the star system, but what he really puts stock in is the offers that a recruit gets. If he's getting offers from big time programs, that means a hell of a lot more than the star system. And Mr. Jenkins says, Hootie, I'm watching in San Antonio, where hopefully the Hoos will be playing in the Final Four in 2025. That would be fun. I've never been to – that's the only major city in Texas I've never been to, so I would love to, I would love to experience that. But uh, he made some valid points. Uh, not uh, – I don't think many people who – I have the kind of academics that Virginia and Vanderbilt and Northwestern feature. Um, I, you know, show me, show me, show me how it's done because I, I haven't seen it. Uh, there, yeah, there's some good schools out there who win, but they've made adjustments. They've made concessions with their football teams. They don't feel like that providing. 
um, a, a major or a curriculum in, say, sports management or if you look at some of the more successful football programs around the country, they they have some a lot of options in terms of classes that athletes can take and, and thrive in. Um, hotel management, stuff like, you know, there's a lot of stuff, not just sociology or anthropology or African-American studies or whatever. There's some other stuff that they've introduced into their schools and, and I don't think it tarnishes their diplomas. Um, I really don't. And, and some schools, I won't, I won't name some of them, but I know for a fact that there's some academically um, famous football programs out there, uh, schools out there who have helped their football program bring in some athletes who normally probably wouldn't be part of their student bodies. I, mean, I, I know that for North a Carolina fact. basketball and North Carolina football. Mm -hmm. They have people taking exams and writing their papers for them. Yeah, I mean, and there's there, and and not you can do it without going to that extreme. But uh, I know I know for a fact because I've talked to their head coaches and they've told me that we're not like we used to be 25, 30 years ago. We We've made some adjustments, and I, you know, I, I don't know that Virginia will ever want to do that. I, they think it taints their diploma if they create a, a, a maybe something like a sports management program. I don't know, but uh, I mean, there's some schools that help their athletes uh, who might be borderline academically. They let them go to a nearby college. Uh, and take some classes to build up their academic resumes. And, and that's gone on at a lot of places, some in the ACC. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. It's, it's been a, an issue here as long as probably that there's been football here. And I, I don't know. I, you know. I'm not in position to suggest that Virginia – does this, but uh, you know, they have to be faced with the reality of I, I just don't think if they continue to go in this direction and not make some kind of adjustments to make it easier on some of the athletes. This is what we got. Uh, this is just going to be a continuing problem. And I've talked to some of the former players, and, and they, they don't agree with that either. Because they were good academic students, and they said, well, well we, don't, we, don't, we don't believe that. We think we can still win anyway. But the world has changed a lot since the George Welsh era. I mean, college football has changed. It's more of a money game now. There's a lot of politics involved. You've got it's, – it's ever-changing with the NIL and – uh, the transfer portal and things like that that coaches probably felt like they would never have to deal with. Who knows what we might be dealing with five years from now. And I, you know, I just don't know if, if they can continue to expect greater things from any football coach if, if they don't make some philosophical adjustments. And, I, frankly, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Your prediction for Louisville? Not only your prediction, 
How about five keys to potential victory? And folks, we'll cut to the chase. The Hoos are a 20-point dog right here. And as Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe highlighted, they got a lot to play for, including a potential ACC championship matchup against Florida State. This is a nationally televised ball game in Louisville. And this fan base is full of excitement and full of passion right now because Louisville's contending for a potential crown here. Your thoughts against Louisville? That's a rabid fan base. Yep. One of the best in the ACC, really. It's their, you know, there's no pro sports in Kentucky, and so that is, Louisville is the largest city in Kentucky, and, and that's their pro team, and they treat it like a pro team. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't see a win there. Virginia's always struggled at Louisville, it seems. They don't seem to have a lot of weaknesses. They, the one loss that they did have was inexplicable, losing to Pitt. I still don't know how that happened. They lost 38-21 to 21 to Pitt. And I, I would have thought if, Pitt's they, not very good. if, they, if they'd have had a loss, I surely wouldn't have thought it would be against Pitt. They're undefeated at home. They have a good quarterback. They have uh, good coordinators. They have great running backs. They have a solid defense. They've only given up three points in the last two games. They shut out Duke, thirty-one to no twenty-three to nothing. They they manhandled the Hokies last week, thirty-four to three. Um, they have a really strong defense. It's very hard to run against. Uh, there's no like Tony Elliott that we've mentioned earlier. When they take out that first unit, they br- bring in four more guys that are almost as good, if not as good. They got a, a good secondary. Um, they can rush the quarterback with four people. They don't have to get exotic on you. And you know Virginia struggled to run the ball last week against Georgia Tech. Well, they're going to be facing the a defense with six people in the tackle box, they don't have to load it up like some teams have against Virginia with seven or eight. They can get the job done with six, and that puts you in a bind. It puts pressure on your quarterback. Again, uh, probably a freshman quarterback who's not making the best decisions in the world under pressure. Um, I, I think the only way Virginia would would be able to win that game is if Louisville's just looking past them toward Miami or, or something down the road and just completely forgets that Virginia's coming to town and Virginia plays its best game of the season, doesn't make mistakes. and uh, But the, the, the odds of that hap- happening are, are not very good. Jerry Ratcliffe, guys, football, um, no doubt front and center with three games left. We've got to step aside and talk basketball. We have questions coming in here in the basketball uh, and the basketball world with the victory against Tarleton State last night, an absolute blowout. Multiple people are already highlighting what we wanted to talk about, the surprise starting lineup. I think that's the biggest takeaway from last night. Uh, what you call it? Rent an opponent? What do you call it? Rent a victim. Rent a victim. Yep. 80 to 50. Yep. It was 43-18 at one point. It was a shellacking, and that's an understatement. Uh, and it should have been. The takeaway, the biggest one I take away was the starting lineup. Tony Bennett rolled out in week one, or excuse me, game one. I think it's also important to highlight what happens against Tarleton State from a starting lineup standpoint 
is not necessarily indicative of what the starting lineup will be going into conference play. So I want to caveat it with that. Your thoughts of this contest, Hootie? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, um, Jacob Groves and Andrew Rohde and Blake Buchanan were all starters along with Reese Beekman and Isaac McNeely. Um, well, actually, that's not right. I think, uh, I, I guess, uh, Ryan Dunn was one of the starters. Yep. Um, but uh, I, th I think um, those guys had really worked hard in practice and impressed Tony in the scrimmages against UConn and Maryland. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think that, and, and Tony told us this down in Charlotte. He says, I, I may not be the same Tony Bennett in terms of starting the same rotation, starting rotation every week after week, game after game, like he's been known to do over his 15 years here, that he may have different line, starting lineups for different teams, how they match up. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had a, starting, a different starting lineup Friday night down in Charlotte against Florida. Uh, I think Blake Buchanan, uh, who's 6'10 freshman from Idaho, uh, was kind of a surprise starter. I thought he, he might not, but I, I think that Jordan Minor as big and physical as he is, I think he's a step slower too, and I think Tony really likes Blake Buchanan's mobility. And that's the way college basketball is trending with uh, more smaller mobile guys who can handle the ball, who can stretch the floor. Defend, can stretch the floor on offense and can defend the other team stretching on on uh, on defense, so I, I think he really likes that mobility and movement that Buchanan gives him. And, and Buchanan looked pretty good last night. He no had, doubt, he had a nice block shot. Sixteen um, minutes for Buchanan, only eleven minutes for Minor. Two other takeaways for me: the starting lineup, a bit of a surprise, but I want to caveat, like I said, the starting lineup against Charlton State is not indicative of the starting lineup come ACC play. Right. Second surprise for me was the limited usage of Jordan Minor. Only got 11 minutes. A lot of folks, this show, me, thought Minor was going to be the bruiser in the paint that Tony was going to rely on. And my third takeaway, man, Leon Bond is explosive. <laughs> He's fun to watch. He is fun to watch, Leon Bond. I'm, I'm going to be writing a column about him later today. Um, and, we, you know, we heard great things about him last year when he redshirted that he was uh, really good in, in practice. And I'm sure there were times last year when, when the team was struggling and Tony was probably thinking. I wish oh, I had this guy. Yeah, or, or yeah. maybe I should take that redshirt I off. know. Um, but uh, he's fun. He's, he's a, a fun kid. He's a, a He's, he's a lively guy. I mean, he's always wearing a grin. He's got a great attitude. And like you said, he's explosive. He, he can rebound. He's, he can shoot it. Oh, that one-hand dunk off a rebound was, oh. was the loudest roar of the night. Uh, our photographer, Jonathan Golden, got a great picture of him doing that. Um, 
He's going to be a player. I, I, I think the times we may see he and Dunn there in, in the front court together. I hope so. Which, uh, <laughs> which Leon so. was really all over at last night. He said, he said uh, th- that could be scary. You don't oh my want, gosh. You don't want to see us together right. out there on the, on the floor on, in, in the front court. So he's delivered fair warning to op- future opponents. But, uh, you know, the Groves and, and Rody were pretty solid. Groves got in a little foul trouble early, as did Ryan Dunn. But both Rody, of these guys, Rody struggled a bit with the jumper. Yeah, but, but I think both of those guys can, can shoot it. And uh, they, they proved it last year. Grody at uh, Groves at Oklahoma, and Rody at St. Thomas in Minnesota. Uh, I think Groves is an intriguing guy, and there were, he started out his season last year as one of the top guys in the Big Twelve scoring, and even into the early end of the Big Twelve schedule, he was still producing. Then he went into a 10-game slump for some reason, and I think he kind of maybe kind of shot his way out of it at the end. But uh, I think he has a lot of potential uh, with a, a six-foot-nine guy who can play and defend multiple positions and can shoot to three, can go inside. Uh, it, this should be a fun team, I think, to cover because and, and to watch for fans because – Again, he played 10 guys last night. I don't know that he'll continue to do that. He may during uh, some of these games early season. It, probably not when it comes to ACC games unless he feels like he needs to. But uh, he can go with so many different kinds of lineups, big, small, not real big, but bigger, smaller, quicker, uh, I think there'll be times he'll play four guards. And uh, Reese Bigman was a, a horse last night. Exactly the guy that we expected him to be. I was walking out of the arena with Jason Williford after the game last night, and he said, I said, how'd you like Reese? You, have you ever seen him that aggressive before? And I said, no, I haven't. And uh, his, <laughs> his stat line, I'll read it off to you real quick. Five of nine from the field. He didn't make a three-pointer. He hit six or seven free throws, had four rebounds, 16 points, seven assists. Seven dimes, No yeah. turnovers. No turnovers. Three steals in 27 minutes. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, even Billy Gillespie, the Tarleton coach, said that's he was in control of the game as long as he was in there. And he says, he said, now that, that was a performance. He he was very impressive, and Isaac McNeely I think uh, showed us that he put in a lot of work during the off season. Uh, Look bigger. He's bigger, stronger, quicker. Uh, has more to his game than just a three pointer, which we'll see as we go along. But that three pointer is is a thing of beauty. He's not going to miss many of those. Wait, uh, McNeely's the guy when he shoots, you're surprised it doesn't go in. Yes. <laughs> Most of the time, you're like, okay, is the shot going to go in? With McNeely, you're angry when it doesn't go in. That's how good he is. Uh, Florida Friday, neutral site, Charlotte. ACC Network, 7 o'clock tip. We'll close with that one. Virginia, Virginia against the Gators. It'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, Florida's sort of in the same boat that Virginia is, although 
they they only went six, 16 and 17 last year and lost in the first round of the NIT. They had Todd Golden, their coach, had nine. He has nine new players. He had a lot of guys leak, exit the program after last season, so they're feeling their way. They they had an easy win last night, uh, another rent-a-victim for the Gators. Uh, they have bragged a little bit that they beat Jim Laranega's Miami team in a secret scrimmage that's right. not so secret uh, by two points. But um, I don't know if – I don't know – Coach Laranega's view on scrimmages, I, I don't think he counts it as a win loss like some of these guys do. It's he's more it's more about exploring what your team is about and building chemistry and finding lineups that work together as opposed as to just trying to win. Um, so I, uh, Virginia has a little bit of revenge to the last time they Played the last two times they played Florida was in the postseason in Florida, beat their brains out both times and ended brutally ended two Virginia seasons, uh, one out in I think Denver and then one down in Orlando a few years back. So I'm sure Tony Bennett hasn't forgotten those and would like to like to extract a, a, some kind of revenge on the Gators. Although he's not a big revenge guy, but you don't you don't, you don't want to let the, a gator hangover occur for sure. Um, Jerry Ratcliffe, guys, the publisher of JerryRatcliffe.com. Time flies when you're sitting across from a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Forty plus years on the beat, an hour and twenty minutes. Wow! Of having fun Flew talking, by. talking Virginia. What can we expect? Final question for you on JerryRatcliffe.com. Uh, we'll be writing more about. Uh, the opening game and, and previewing Florida, uh, I'll, I'm going to write a column on Ryan Dunn. I had an interview with him last week and a little bit after the game last night, so I'll have a nice piece on him. Uh, we'll be doing the lead-up to the Louisville game. Um, we'll write a little bit about why Tony Bennett decided to redshirt three guys last night. Um, People are already making so much of that right now. Yeah, I think probably too premature to, so premature to do that <laughs> and um just the general stuff i, I think uh it'll be anything that wahoos want to read about jerryratcliffe.com i'm on the website every day jerryratcliffe.com for anything virginia related who do you thank you thank you very much absolutely thanks for being with me all these uh several weeks that we've done this and it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun Thank you to the viewers and listeners. You made this program a piece of cake today. Judah Wickhauer, props to you. Uh, thank you so much to Judah Wickhauer. The I Love Seville shows up at 1230, ladies and gentlemen. Check out jerryratcliffe.com for all your UVA sports content and analysis. So long, everybody. Take care. Excellent work. Excellent work. Covered a lot of ground.